Romans 13.1 says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And I'd like to preach for a while this morning from the subject, God has established. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will help me to be accurate as I teach your word. I pray, God, that you have something to speak to us and we need to hear it. So give us open hearts and ears, Lord, to receive it today. And Lord, as we implement it, hopefully we, we pray that you'll be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure going into this, this may be a shorter sermon. It may be a long sermon. I have no idea. I told somebody that the other day and they go, it'll be a long sermon. Anyways, if I need to do this to you, I, I will do it right up front and apologize for this sermon that I'm going to speak because it's going to be thought by some to be political. I have to say this too. I have never, I've been doing this 30 years. I never wanted to preach these kind of sermons. But it has become necessary recently that I've done a few of these. I mean, I went years and never spoke, never taught on what people might think of as political issues. But unfortunately, it has reached the point, and I feel that it is my responsibility, and I'd be negligent if I did not address some of the things that are going on. I'm sure that we're all aware of the election that we just had and that there has been a great deal of disagreement and dispute over that election, over what exactly has occurred. And uh, as that uh, dispute goes on, there's a, becoming a greater and greater divide in our country. And of course, people would prefer to have unity. And, and now that uh, those on the more liberal side of the political spectrum have uh, what they believe won this election, they're now calling for unity. And what really strikes me, and, and this is a message to the church. This is not a message to the, to the, to the world. This is a message to the church this morning. It is the church, though, the churches and the pastors that I hear now falling in line. Yes, we need to be unified. Yes, we need to be unified. The, you know, the Bible says that we need to have unity. The Bible says, God's word says, you know, that we're to, to you know, and they misconstrue the definition of biblical love. And this passage right here, Romans 13, 1, and the first through the first five verses or so, and then through Romans 13, you know, we are to do what? Submit to authorities because there is no authority except that which is God has established. And the lack of understanding that I see, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this against the church, against the church that preaches that kind of stuff because they don't even understand Scripture. That's what is so frustrating, and that's why I feel like I must address these things. So not only does the, the new administration want unity, but a lot of the church is now preaching unity, okay? And they want us to be unified with people that have rioted and burned and, you know, and, and committed violence and, and, and looting and all these kinds of things. Uh, the, you know, there's been great division in our country, and... and um, you know, after the George Floyd shooting, the, the riots began and there was physical violence. You know, you have Black Lives Matter and Antifa out there. And, and that obviously is causing great division because there's people who say, well, we don't want to act like that. And yet at the same time, I can go on websites, big, huge, mega church, prominent websites, and their home page, when you pull it up, will have BLM. How many of you know what the term woke means? 
Okay, a few of you. Woke. Okay, this is the, these, are the, these are the woke churches and the woke Christians. Woke means that you've been uh, unaware of, uh, you know, the social injustice that goes on in our country. All the discrimination and all the racism and all the misogyny and all the homophobia and all the, you know, anti-transgender, you know, you've been against all that stuff. But all of a sudden, you get it. You understand why that's bad and you've been bad and you've been wrong all these years. You woke up to your social injustice. And so now you're woke. So now I, I've been, I, from time to time, I'll make little uh, notes where I'm like, like as if I were like writing a book or a big letter and it's my letter to the woke church. And it's basically telling them like you're, you're losing your minds and you don't understand what you're doing. So there's been this big division. And, and this passage uh, from Romans 13, there are pastors and leaders, religious leaders and churches telling us how we, the Christian church, have been a part of the problem, that we are causing division, that we, are, uh, we haven't been woke to social justice issues. Uh, many churches have adopted pro-choice stances, believing that's loving to be pro-choice. And by pro-choice, we mean killing babies, aborting babies. Churches, I mean, we sat here this morning and we can't hardly imagine that, but believe me, there are many, many churches out there that are moving in that direction. They got BLM on their home, uh, on their home page. They're pro-choice. They're, uh, you know, uh, okay with home, they're okay with same-sex marriage. And the list goes on and on and on. And that's the Christian church. I don't know if you know it. How many of you are familiar with the publication? Probably one of the most po- prominent publications in Christianity in this country, a magazine called Christianity Today. Familiar with that? You've heard it? The, the, the editor of Christianity Today is an evolutionist. And the Pope is a Marxist, but that's a different story. I mean, he is. He is a Marxist. He's a socialist. I mean, this is where we stand. And this is why I say I feel like I have to speak and address these issues. It's amazing what people who claim to be Christian and even ministers don't know. Their Bible knowledge and their ability to interpret it and understand it is just horrible. It's horrible. I got. I didn't get involved in it. I saw it. A pastor posted something, and it had to do with church's nonprofit status, and it got in this big, long conversation on Facebook. I mean, there was like 35, 38 posts going on and on and on. And I was reading through these, and maybe I missed it, but as I read through them, and there are all these pastors responding, they don't even know why they're nonprofits and how it works. It was astonishing. How can you pastor a church as a nonprofit and not even know where that nonprofit status comes from? Who gives it to you? How does it come about? There was discussions over the Constitution and separation in church and state, and blah blah. That that has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it, and they can't take it away from. Yeah, they can. He who giveth can taketh away. Do you know who gives us our nonprofit status? The state, you have to file articles of incorporation to be a nonprofit, a 501c3, and you have to meet certain criteria 
that they lay out in order to be a nonprofit. And if they determine that you've violated one of those criteria of being a nonprofit, guess what the state does? They take it away from you. I mean, it's just, it's just mind-boggling what people don't know, not only biblically, but even uh, anyways. So, this passage, Romans 13, has been probably now taught on trying to tell churches Pastors getting up and preaching and teaching to their churches that we must fall into line with the new administration because there's only authorities that are in place are those established by God and we have to do whatever they now tell us. So there have probably been more sermons preached on Romans 13 in the last month from these woke churches than there has been in the previous hundred years. So I felt like I have to address this. I have to get up here and I have to say something about this. But I want to lay a little bit of foundation first things to understand that our founding fathers clearly understood that what they were establishing in this country was a Christian-based, all right, a, a, a D, or at a minimum a deist, a God-inspired nation and a God-inspired governing document that we call the Constitution. There is no doubt that they believed this was God-inspired. I'm going to read a couple of quick quotes to you, and there's, a, there's much, much more of this. If you want to see a lot about this, go to David Barton. David Barton, write that name. David Barton, all right? And I've showed some of his stuff up here before, but he has a voluminous amount of material on the Christian underpinnings of this nation. Frank, Benjamin Franklin said this, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Psalm 127.1. I firmly believe this. So you understand what he's setting up here? These things don't happen without God. The big things and even the small things. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring, uh, concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builder of Babel. He's saying if God doesn't help us out, we might as well be building Babel. All right? I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. This is uh, Franklin's saying uh, they're working on the Constitution and it's not going very good and he proposes we pray every morning before we start this, this process if we're going to get this thing to, to turn out okay. And that's what they did. So they began to pray every morning before they began their work on what we know today as the Constitution. Now, after it was completed, this is a statement by George Washington. He said, we may, with a kind of grateful and pious exaltation, trace the finger of providence. Who's the finger of providence? It's God, right? Through those dark and mysterious events which first in, in, 
induced the states to appoint a general convention and then led them one after another into the adoption of the system recommended by the general convention, which is the Constitution, thereby in all human probability laying a lasting foundation for tranquility and and happiness. He's saying that because they did this, the finger of providence guided them to produce what we know as the Constitution. In other words, if you, I don't know if I want to, you know, I hesitate to use the word divinely inspired because we believe that the Scripture is divinely inspired. But he's saying we produce what we produced as the Constitution because God led us to do it. That kind of sounds like divinely inspired, all right? I mean, that's what he's saying. So Franklin says we need to pray before we do this, and we work on it, and they do. And so once they've done it, though, what have they produced? They believe they produce something that is divinely inspired. We are essentially a God-inspired nation, founded by God providentially. That is what they believed. Divine guidance produced this democracy that operates on the basis of a representative republic. That's what we are. We're not a pure democracy, but we are democratic and we operate that that system of democracy as a representative Republican. Let me read to you the preamble of the Constitution so we can set this up. We the people, that's going to be a very important phrase to remember. We the people of the United States, and yeah, we don't need the school. You want to sing the schoolhouse rock version for us? Of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic, domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. I almost can't read it without it singing in my head. But he starts off with what? Who is establishing this nation and this Constitution? We, the people. And this is what led Lincoln at his Gettysburg address to say that this nation is what? A nation and a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, that phrase is not original with Lincoln, all right? He may have originally gotten it from the prologue of the John Wycliffe 1934 translation of the Bible. In the prologue to it, he writes, the Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I never knew that. But that is why, based on all of this, who is the governing authority of this country? We the people. Now, we are the governing authorities, and that's important in understanding this Romans 13 passage. Who are those who submit to the governing authorities? What's it say? Everyone. Everyone should submit. Who is everyone? It's us, but it's also what? those people that we send there to represent us, all right? So it includes citizens and it includes elected officials. This is something I've really been working on. I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. Let's not call them leaders, political leaders. They are not leaders. They are, the proper American model is they are servants. They are elected servants to serve who? We the people, 
Citizens, elect them, and they are there to serve us. Elected officials, that is what they're supposed to be doing. We know that's gone dramatically awry. Now, I'm going to reread Romans 13.1, and I'm going to read it through verse 5. And I have here, this is Bevington's paraphrase, all right? Bevington's paraphrase of Romans 13.1 through 5, based on what we have just talked about. Everyone must submit himself to we the people. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against we the people is rebelling against God, uh, what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I'm going to pause right there. Given what Franklin and Washington, when I read you what they said, that God, they believe God did what? He providentially established this nation and our form of government. God did that. So is that in keeping with God establishing authorities? Yes. And that authority, according to what they had God, they believe God led them to establish was what? We the people. I, I think I lost some of you. They said God established this nation, and he led us to create the Constitution. And the Constitution we created starts off, the very first words are what? We the people. That is the whole, you need to understand that if you don't, the whole basis of the Constitution is for the sake, the elevation of, the protection of, the value of the individual against the government. It has been stated that the Constitution is a, is a charter of negative liberties. It, in other words, it does not lay out what the government can do. It lays out what the government can't do in order to protect the individual from the government. Because the, the individual is valued. That's why they left Europe and came to America, the New World, for individual freedom. And they say, we believe that based on that, that's a godly principle. God, God directed us and we produced this form of government and God established this nation. And, when, and keeping all that together, we understand that it is we the people that are responsible. And we the people are the ones that God has established to be the preeminent, okay, not the government. So the Constitution is designed to protect the individual from the government. And that's also why we're not a pure democracy, because if a pure democracy, in a pure democracy, if 100 people to get together and they decide they want to steal, take your house, and 51 of them say we vote to do it, guess what? They do what? They take your house, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why we are not a pure democracy, to protect us from the tyranny of the majority. Let me read on, verse 3. We the people hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Who are supposed to be afraid of us? wrongdoers. <laughs> do you want to be free from fear of we the people? Then do what is right, and we the people will commend you. 
For we the people is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for we the people does not bear the sword for nothing. We the people in God's serv- is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to we the people, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. I could take this passage, if I wanted to, and justify leading a revolution. Hello? Do those elected officials hold, have any fear of we the people? But they need to. And I don't know how you do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not inciting a revolution. I just want to say that. But we need to be aware of this. Do not let the woke church tell you that we need to just submit. There's just there's one further thing I, I, I you know I just really want to drive this home. Verse 3, for we the people hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong. They should be afraid of us if they do wrong. But I'm not so sure, and I, I could go so many different directions. I don't want to, I, I'm going to try not to do that. But I don't know what we do anymore, folks, but we need to be aware of this. I heard it stated recently, it, the, the courts have always been the final backstop against injustice and in, in, in lawbreaking. Well, even in places like Pennsylvania, their Supreme Court I mean, they, they changed election laws that was not via legislature. And their constitution of the state of Pennsylvania says you can only change these election laws via the legislature. And their Supreme Court just threw it out. I don't, I don't, if, you, if you can't, if the, if the court is no longer going to enforce law, stand up for law, I don't, you know, what other recourse do you have? And I actually heard some, some people saying recently, even Mark Levin, who I really like, and a uh, sharp lawyer, supposed to be a constitutional guy, scholar, uh, say that no president has operated constitutionally since Calvin Coolidge. Well, if that's true, I'm, then we might as well disband the Supreme Court. They only exist for one reason, to interpret constitutional law. If they're not doing that, and we're not operating for it, why, why do we need them? This is the kind of thing that we need to start. I'm not saying have a revolution. I'm not saying a revolution. But I'm saying these are things that we need to start talking about and asking and prompting. I, you know, I sent off emails the other night to all of every, every representative that I could think of that would have anything to do with me. I made it available to my family members so that they could copy and paste what I did if they wanted to. I, I almost sent one to the director of the FBI because that place has become a complete joke. But since Corinne is applying to the FBI, I thought, and I'm a reference for her, I thought, eh, maybe I shouldn't send that to the director of the FBI. You may still be in trouble anyways, because I'm going to tell you, all of you, y'all need to share this video with everybody you possibly can. When it gets posted on our Facebook page, you need to share it with everybody you can think of. And if you got woke friends, you need to share it with them for sure. I'm going to ask you, am I saying something that is not biblically accurate? 
We are in this country. Now, in other countries, it's different. They have kings. They have monarchs. They have dictators. They have fake elect... I can't say that here anymore either. You know, fake elected people. (laughs) But in this country, our form of government is we the people. We the people. We are the authority. There is nobody for us to fall in line behind. We're it. That's how it's supposed to work. And those who don't are supposed to fear us. And they don't. Well, I'm educating you. It's going to become up to you how you implement that. I'll give you... Okay, Cynthia, how do we change that? You're making me jump ahead. Judy saw something yesterday and posted it, and I saw what she told me about it, and I saw it and, re- and reposted it. In 19, I think it was in 2015, we went to Dream Center in L.A., the Dream Center. Do you remember what year it was we went? Was it 2015, 14, 15? Anyways... Dream Center in L.A. is a big ministry. Uh, Matthew Barnett heads it up. And it's, it's an old hospital that was purchased. It's massive. And they, do, they, they house people and they feed people and they help people with jobs and daycare and all, the, you know, all these different kind of things for all the, the homeless and the you know, de- poor people and stuff in L.A. So we went there in 2014 probably. It seems it's been more than five years ago. Anyways... <clears throat> Matthew Barnett posted, and they had, of, of course, they're going to help people at Christmas time, right? Because that's what these organizations do. Guess what? They had it all set up, and they knew that they had to be careful and follow all the guidelines. They had it set up to where people could drive through, walk through, whatever. It wasn't going to be a big gathering and get, you know, toys for the kids, food for their meals, all this. Guess what? Eric Garcetti, the mayor, Gavin Newsom, the governor, Dream Center can't do it. Shut them down. Now, these guys are all going to sit in their nice homes, giving, exchanging gifts with their families, eating their big old, you know, the Christmas dinner, and they just plucked it away from all of these people. And they can't have it. You can't have your Christmas turkey, and your kids can't have their gifts. But obviously... And the thing is, we've gone back three more times to the L.A. mission since then. We were at the dream. And every year, the homelessness and the poverty is skyrocketing. It is so much worse. I couldn't believe how bad it was there the last time we went back two years ago. Skid Row used to be here, and then it was here, and then it was here, and now it's here. And now you drive by every overpass and every little under you know, a bridge and along the freeway, and now we're, there were never homeless before they're there now. There's so many more to give free rooms to the right. Yeah, you can't house them there. But and here's the thing: it's people like Newsom and Garcetti's policies that are creating more and more homeless and poverty. And then when they put more people in that position, they tell them, oh, nope, you can't have your little Christmas turkey and you can't have your toys for your kids, but I'll sit at the governor's mansion and I'll enjoy my Christmas and we'll exchange gifts. What do I do about it? Well, I can just tell you this, and I'm standing here before all of you. When people run against these people the next election, I will be sending money to California to those campaigns. I promise you. 
And I will be sending suggestion to the Babylon Bee <laughs> that they make an article in their little headline of Gavin Newsom as Scrooge stealing toys out of kids' stockings and plucking the Christmas turkey off of your table. If somebody on the right doesn't make that as a political ad, then you don't deserve to be elected because that's a no-brainer. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be doing about it. So I'm up here today doing my part, at least this first part, to educate you not to pick up arms, but to get engaged. It matters. We're it. If not us, folks, and we got nobody to put it off on. We can stand up here and we go, we the people, we the people, we the people. That doesn't mean that everybody, that means we're responsible. We the people. If we don't do it, who's going to? Because it's our responsibility. Because this is the government that we have established. So does that give you some idea of what I mean when I say this is, this is what we have to do? But the, right now the system is broke. They do not fear us. Let's, I, I got to move on. Let's, let's look at Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. I want to make sure that we deal, bring the Bible into this and understand it correctly. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to be one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, our God and Father of all, who is, all, uh, who is over all and through all and in all. We see here that God calls for unity. Is unity a biblical concept? Does God call for unity? Yes, but where does he call for unity? Where does he insist on unity? Within the body of Christ. That's important. So when these woke, and I'll just stop with my descriptives, my adjectives there. I've said, folks, this has been a real test. I really am, I must be really born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it has taken every ounce of that to at times to not just lace into long strains of profanity when I think about some of this stuff. And I haven't done it yet. Okay, so I give God the credit for that. Because Randy is a sailor, all right? <laughs> so I'll just stop with woke. Woke pastors that want to tell us, you, yeah, we are to be unified, but he doesn't tell us to unify with every knuckle-headed idea that comes down the pike from the world. We're called to unity within the body of Christ. And we're, submit, and we're to submit to the authorities over us. We are the authorities. We the people, because they don't, anyways. Let's go on. Let's look at some other things. What does it say about this idea of being unified? Yes, within the church, but what about with the world? James 4.4. 4. Here's what it says about being unity with the world. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world becomes an enemy of God. So for all you woke churches and woke pastors out there who think that we need to be friends with the world and you want to get along with them, guess what it says? You are an enemy of God. Do you not even know how to read your Bibles? 
It says that friendship with is hatred towards God. You're so busy trying to please the world and get along with them that you hate, you are, you are hatred toward, it's not just hatred towards God. You hate me, you hate us, you hate our church and what we stand for. And you're supposed to be unified with me. I'm not just fine, I'm not ununified with you, you are disunified with me because you are in hatred with the world. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. These guys, they, they, these churches, these pastors, they don't want the world to hate them. Guess what? We are told the world's going to what? They're going to hate you because we're different than them. We don't do the things that they do. Why are you trying to get along with them? I'm not saying we should go out of our way. I'm not saying to go out of your way to make enemies. But don't be surprised that the, that the world doesn't like the message that God has given us. God warned us in advance. That thing I just talked about with the, the Dream Center and Newsom and Garcia, that's pure evil. That is pure evil. How do I get along with that? And they, they don't, they're not ever going to embrace you because they don't see people as spiritual beings. We're nothing but a bunch of meat bricks to them. That's what people are. You understand there is no such thing as morality because there is no spiritual realm. We are just a product of evolution. We are slabs of meat. There is no morality associated to slabs of meat. You can't approach them and discuss things with them on moral grounds because there is no such thing as morality morality to people who think like that. Do we understand this? See, I don't think we understand the battle that we're in. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Then this is exactly what these people are doing. They are being deceived and their brains and their spirits are being taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Philosophies that says, oh, we, love is the fact that we just accept all behavior. That's what the woke church has gone to, and I don't have any better term for them than the woke church. The woke church has gone to teaching that uh, biblical love is acceptance, that we just accept it. That is not what biblical love is. If you love me, this is the definition of biblical love, you will obey my commands. God loves us, so he says, don't do that destructive behavior. I don't love you by accepting your destructive behavior. I love you by telling you not to destroy yourself and those around you. And they've fallen for this, what does it say? Deceptive, they've been taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. And those philosophies depend on what? How do I know? It says they depend on human tradition and principles of this world. How do I know that they do? Because they sure don't say what this says. So they have to be from the world. If we follow that, I mean, any spiritual person, pastor, especially pastor, religious leader, should be able to read this and go, oh, I get it. If I'm following that, I am in contradiction to God. The, the, these, these principles aren't coming from here. They're coming from the world. How, how, do you, how are you born again and knowledgeable of God's word and not know that? 
When we're being told things like that we should submit to our elected politicians and that we need to come together in unity with everybody, you know, that's, that's in contradiction to God, God's word. That is a, a, a hollow and deceptive philosophy. That is not a biblical philosophy. When 1 John 3.13 says the world hates you, okay, it, it means it hates you. It wants to destroy you. It wants to get us. If it can get us to believe and follow along with like Colossians 2.8, then they'll, they'll be able to destroy us. And that's what they want. They, they know that that philosophy is destructive to the church. Let me go on. Romans 12.2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you try to get along with the world... You're never going to be able to understand God's will. Get that? Do not conform to the pa- any longer to the pattern of this world. That's where it starts off. Don't conform to that pattern. It ends with what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you can do what? Know God's will. So if I, if I am conforming to this world, I can't know God's will. Do you see what it says? What are these woke churches and ministries doing? They are conforming to the pattern of this world. They want to get along with the world. No wonder, if if you're going to want to get along with the world, you'll never understand what I'm preaching here today. Because you can't understand God's will if you want to get along with the world. They are mutually exclusive. So, I want to be clear. I'm not calling... For armed revolution. All right? I'll let you know when that comes. <laughs> I'm not calling for that. I don't think we're not, I'm not ready for that yet. And here's why we're not ready for that yet. Because for too long we've usurped our responsibility as we the people. That's on us. So before we start overthrowing, you know. Washington, let's try fulfilling our responsibility first. I'll be campaigning for senator. (laughs) I would love to, trust me. I would love to to run against Sherrod Brown or Sherrod or Sherrod or whatever he pronounces his name this week. This whole thing about, let me go back to this nonprofit thing that, that I was telling you about. All the churches are afraid to speak up because they'll pull your nonprofit. We are not allowed to make political speech in this church. We are not allowed to endorse certain a candidate, any candidate. We're not allowed to do that. Now, if we were, if we supported somebody on the left, they wouldn't bother us. If we supported somebody on the right, we might start hearing about it. Folks, I am serious, and I would be willing to do it, and it would cost me personally. The church needs to start asking themselves, do we want to surrender our nonprofit status voluntarily and then we can do whatever we want? So we can have, we can endorse candidates and we can have political speech and that would cost me because I, I would use, lose a huge deduction in my taxable income called housing allowance, okay? But folks, The only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is what? For good men to do nothing. We can't continue to do nothing 
And that's the position that we've had for too long. And guess what? They have knowingly and happily put us in that box. It's why they control your school. We're going we're gonna to give you a bunch of federal money. Of course, after we tax it out of your community, then we'll give it back to you. But you only get it back if you jump through the hoops we tell you to. And if you get out of line, we're going to take it from you. I'm not allowed to say that, probably. But, hey, I'll have, to cons- I'll have to discuss it. with. We have a council meeting Tuesday night, all right? We may be losing our nonprofit status here, folks, okay? <laughs> what else are we going to do? Are we going to be silent? I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not meaning to make this a political rally. <clears throat> so I'm not calling for revolution. I'm, I want you to be aware. We need to know this. And here's what I'm going to tell you in close. Stand on. Stand by, this may get a little bit lengthy. As far as being unified with, all right, we've got to have all this unity. I will not unify to those who deny Jesus as the Son of God. I will not unite with those who call for the killing of a million babies a year. I will not be united with those who say there are 57 genders and you get to change them every time you want. I will not be united with those who say it's okay to have same-sex marriage and those who say that a a man who thinks he's a woman can go in and use the same bathroom as my wife and my daughter. I will not be united with them ever. I don't care what the woke church tells me. I will not be united with those who commit violence and destruction against the innocent and those who destroy and want to destroy the Constitution. I will not be united with those who want to defund the police and weaken our military. I will not stand united with those who want to destroy the nuclear family, which used to be a stated, stated on the Black Lives Matter website. They since have removed it. I will not unite with those who value government over individual. I will not unite with those who want to destroy, as I said, the family. And who, uh, I will not unite with those who misrepresent the idea of what true godly love is. I will not do it. And I don't believe biblically we're called to. I will stand with those who stand for the truth of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Hopefully that's you. I will stand with those united to believe in the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life. I will stand with those who believe that God has created every person with value, with purpose, and with opportunity. I will stand with those who believe that there is only one truth, and that is God's truth. I will stand with those who believe that every life matters. I will stand united with those who believe that when we obey God's commands, we are living in godly love. I will stand with those who believe Christians are called to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to baptize in the name of Jesus. I will stand united with those who believe that once we have preached the gospel to all nations, Jesus will return. And finally, I will stand with those United with those who believe that Jesus will return and then in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we will all be changed and then the judgment. If you believe that, I stand with you. This is what God has established.